0: We're looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. And um, as you're finding it, to prepare ourselves and get us in the right mindset for this passage, I want you to consider a question. When the world looks at the church, what does it see? When the world looks at Christians of the world, what do they see? When the world looks at us as Doolin's Grove, What do they see? When the world looks at you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what do they see? When they look at us, do they see people that are really just like them, striving after the exact same goals, clinging to the exact same things in life, treasuring the exact same stuff, Devoting our lives to the exact same pursuits, the exact same endeavors? Serving the same gods? Or do they see a people that are radically different in what they value and what they give their lives to and what they pursue in life? As we've been studying Mark chapter 10, Jesus has been laying out how different it is to be a part of the kingdom of God as opposed to being a part of the kingdom of man. And how everything, all the values get flipped upside down. And here we come to the last in this passage within the passage of Mark chapter 10. And he sort of concludes his arguments. This passage began with a rich guy who came running up to Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you need to sell all your possessions, liquidate all your assets, and come and follow me. And the man couldn't do it. And he walked away sad because he had such great possessions. He had a lot of really nice stuff. And he just couldn't leave it to follow Jesus. And then Jesus proceeded to teach that it's very difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of God because they can't let go of their earthly wealth and their earthly riches. And then we come to verse 28 and the disciples respond. And let's read it together. We'll read through the whole passage and then go back and and look at it with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, let's ask God to help us to understand and receive his word before we really start to dig into it. Father, thank you for giving us this word that we've been looking at for the past several weeks. And um, I just ask once again that you would open our eyes to it, open our hearts to it, and make us um, soft and able to receive your teaching here. Please convict us of any sin that we need to purge and be rid of in our lives. Please help us to follow you and help help us to loosen our grip on the things of this world. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I really only have two points for you today. It'll be pretty straightforward. The first point is this. Disciples are willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. Disciples are willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. Look again at verse 28 when Peter responds to Jesus' hard teaching about wealth. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. That's what Jesus had asked the rich man to do, leave everything and follow me, and he couldn't do it. And Peter, probably feeling a little bit proud of himself, and says... You know, we did. We left everything to follow you. Remember that, Jesus? And they literally did. They literally left everything to follow Jesus. For them, this was not theoretical or philosophical. They literally left everything to follow Jesus. In the beginning of Mark, we saw Simon, who is Peter here. He's known by both names. And his brother Andrew left their fishing nets. They just, I guess they just rowed to shore and they just left it all, their boats and their nets and, and whatever fish they'd call, and they literally, physically, geographically followed Jesus. Um, we also read that James and John, brothers, left their father and their family fishing business to go and follow Jesus. They, they were maybe a little bit more successful fishermen. They had servants helping them. They left all of that, including their father, to follow Jesus. A little bit later in Mark, we saw Levi, a tax collector, just gets up and leaves his tax booth, his tax business, and literally leaves it all and follows Jesus. So they had done it. Now, Jesus asked the rich man to liquidate all of his assets and come and follow him. And Jesus' original disciples left everything to come and follow him. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, does that mean that we have to leave everything to follow Jesus? Do we American Christians now, centuries later, still have to leave everything to follow Jesus? Do you have to quit your job and walk away from it to follow Jesus? Do you have to just walk away from your home, from your 401k, from your vehicles, from your baseball card collections, whatever, and your families to follow Jesus today? I want you to actually think about it for a minute. I think we all kind of hope not, a little bit, if we're honest. I think we all kind of hope that this is sort of a culturally different time. This was when the church was just beginning, and now it's different. But we need to feel the weight of the fact that this is how it all began. People radically leaving everything to follow Jesus. Now, as you read through the rest of the New Testament, it's a little bit more complex and nuanced than that, than just a a blanket rule for every Christian. You must leave everything if you're going to be a Christian disciple. Uh, Few things in the Bible are that black and white because God wants us to walk closely with him and discern these things for ourselves as individual Christians. So you see that the disciples did leave everything. Um, If you remember in Mark, there was one guy who was demon-possessed that Jesus healed And he begged to come and follow Jesus and leave his hometown. And Jesus said, no, 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 you stay put. You go back home to your friends and family and tell them what I did for you. So here we see one follower of Jesus that really wanted to leave everything. He had, I'm sure, a very embarrassing past, and he would love to have left all that. And Jesus said, no, you stay put. You see through the rest of the New Testament, some people traveling around with the gospel, but then you see many others staying put and rooting down in their community where they grew up, being faithful Christians and disciples. I think the bigger point isn't that everybody must literally leave everything in order to follow Jesus. I think the bigger point is that true disciples are willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. True disciples are willing to leave everything to follow Jesus if they must choose between the two. Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. Jesus was teaching and he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Often in American Christianity, we tend to treat Jesus like the ketchup on the plate. It's nice to have, and you can dip your other foods in it, but it's really not the central thing, not the essential thing. You know, it's nice to have some Christianity in your life. It's nice to go to church from time to time and and maybe even dip the other parts of our life in Christianity a little bit and add a little bit more niceness, a little bit more morality to it. But ultimately, the main thing is our career or the main thing is our family or the main thing is our health or the main thing is our funds or the main thing is our hobby. And Jesus is just sort of this add-on that may enhance those things. And the premise of Christianity is... Let go of all that stuff and embrace God himself through Jesus Christ. If he's not the main thing, he really is nothing. And so true disciples are willing to leave everything to follow Jesus if they have to choose. Now we all know that becoming a Christian means we have to leave bad things. I think everybody here knows that if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to repent and turn from your sins. You're not going to be able to bring... You know, your your sinful buying habits or watching habits or speaking habits or whatever into a real relationship with Jesus Christ, He's gonna make you turn from those sinful things for your own good. But what we also need to recognize here is sometimes we have to turn away from good things in order to follow Jesus. You know, these disciples, their fishing businesses, those weren't bad things. But in their case, For them to truly follow Jesus, they had to leave those things. And often in our lives as Christians, we'll come up against these decisions where it's not a bad thing, but a good thing, but it becomes incompatible with truly following Christ. And in those cases, disciples are willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. And here's the second point. Leaving everything to follow Jesus is not a sacrifice. When you first hear this, it sounds like, well, I guess I'd have to be super religious and be willing to sacrifice everything, and it would be really hard and really painful and awful, but I would do it because I would be a strong Christian. Now, the second part of this lesson and the second point leaving everything to follow Jesus is not a sacrifice, it's an investment not a sacrifice, it's an investment. Look at what Jesus teaches in verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions And in the age to come, eternal life. So here Peter speaks up. And I think it's interesting that it says back in verse 28, Peter began to say to him. It's like maybe he had a lot more he was going to say about how great they were and how much they gave up. He began to say to them, see, we left everything and followed you. But Jesus sort of interrupts and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's great, but... It's no big great sacrifice. There's nobody who has left all these things. It's not going to gain a hundredfold now in this time what he left with persecutions, which is weird, and we'll talk about that. And then in the time to come, eternal life. It's not a sacrifice. It's an investment. And we mentioned last week when Jesus was teaching what the kingdom of God is like. He said it's like a guy who was going for a walk in, in a field, and he stumbled across a great treasure. Just an immense wealth was in this field. I'm picturing like a, a pirate's chest full of gold and jewels and rubies. and So he immediately covers it back up and goes home and sells everything he has to gain enough money to buy the field. So was he sacrificing his house that he liquidated, his new pickup truck that he liquidated, no, it wasn't sacrifice. It was an investment. He liquidated all that so he could go buy something immeasurably more well, uh, more valuable. That's what it's like to become a Christian. It's not you have all this valuable stuff, and you just give it up reluctantly because you know it's the right thing to do, and then you go and you live as a Christian. I had all that, but this is right. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it. Pastor Matt said, I'm supposed to do it. I'm going to do it. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is you have all this earthly treasure that's, even while you're holding it, rusting and rotting away, and then you see this eternal, glorious treasure of a relationship with God himself, with a peace that transcends all this stuff, with the security that transcends all this stuff, and you gladly get rid of it to come and embrace the true treasure that will never, ever fade away. That's what Christianity is. So it's not sacrifice to let go and turn away from bad things or good things if it means you get more of God through Jesus Christ. So here he promises three returns on this investment, and we'll look at each each one of them briefly. First, he promises a hundredfold. Let's just read it. He says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands. So this is everything that would have represented stability and security. Your house, your household, your home, your family, your land, your location, your heritage. Nobody has ever left all that stuff for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time all that same stuff, houses, And brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Now, this is a little bit confusing, isn't it? For the past two weeks, we've looked at how Jesus taught. The more of that stuff you have, the more wealthy you are, the harder it's going to be for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what you would expect him to say here is basically what I just said to you a minute ago. If you leave all that, it's okay because you're going to gain all this other stuff in eternity. But what he actually promises is, if you leave all that now, you're going to gain a hundredfold of all that now, in this time. So what in the world is he talking about? Is he just contradicting himself? He doesn't explain, which he, he does this to me as a preacher all the time, difficult things that really, if we're honest, are hard to understand, and he just doesn't explain it, at least not in this text. But we have a few clues we can think about. For one, we know that these disciples that he just said this to never became super wealthy. Peter and his brother who left their fishing nets, we have no reason to think that they then inherited 100 times as many fishing nets in their lifetime. The other brothers who left their fishing business, we have no reason to think that they went back and had a 100 times more successful business. So I don't think we can jump to the conclusion that he means... Literally, you're going to have a hundred times whatever you leave. Another clue is the fact that the early church is not known for their great wealth. But what they are known for is their great and radical generosity. Now, I think there's something there to understand this. Consider Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Here's a description of the early church, right when it was getting started. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So what we do see in the church is that as the people begin to let go of their grip on their possessions. It begins to flow outward toward one another in generosity so that in the early church there was nobody that had any need. Maybe what he's referring to here is the multiplied provision of being a part of the church community. If someone has to leave their house because of their Faith in Christ, they may find 100 homes opened up to them. You know, I was talking to a friend who lives over in Lumberton when all the flooding came. and I saw pictures on Facebook of the water level, the water line in their house, almost all of their first floor, and they lost almost everything. Their house was completely devastated and ruined. And I got in touch with him on Facebook to see what he needed, and he said, you know, it's amazing how people have poured out and we have a place to stay. We have everything we lost already restored or recovered in the gifts of generous people. He's like, I can honestly say we actually don't need anything. You, know, you might want to go look for somebody else, but we have had everything provided for us through the generosity of, and in their case, it was their parents' church back here in the Charlotte area. So it may be that what he means is disciples who have to leave their houses to follow him may find 100-fold houses opened up to them through the generosity of the church. This is the idea behind the deacons fund, by the way. And when you give to the deacons fund, the deacons then use that to distribute according to need as, as is needed, and it's very active, and I really appreciate y'all's generosity toward it. We use it often. In fact, uh, we were working on, on helping someone this morning with it. It may be that what he has in mind is that when people leave their biological family for the sake of the gospel, that they'll find 100-fold family in the church. And some of you were here a few years ago when a a young lady from our neighborhood came to Christ. and uh, She was from China and in academic circles where atheism was the accepted religion. And for her coming to Christ really meant a disconnect from the family and the community that she once was more of a part And I think and I hope that she can say she was welcomed into a hundredfold family in the church. It may mean that if you have to leave your land, your location, you'll find 100 lands waiting for you. I've heard it expressed, and maybe you've felt this way, a fear that if you surrender fully to God, that he's going to make you go to Africa as a missionary like if in response to this sermon if you come forward and say okay god i'm just i'm not going to hold anything back he's going to say ha go to africa and live there for the rest of your life and it's going to be miserable there's this fear we have that he's going to do something like that but i promise you if you ever get to know missionaries that God has sent they're not there begrudgingly it may be extremely challenging and maybe the initial decision was very difficult But usually they give them a passionate heart for that country and those people. And they want to be there when they're called to be there. So in some way, there is return on the investment now in this life if we are willing to let go of everything to follow Jesus. But I'm not going to belabor the point because he doesn't. He just just throws it out there. So we just have to trust him that not only if if you let go of everything to follow Jesus... You will have eternal blessings, but you'll have blessings now somehow in some way. And I can't tell you exactly what it'll look like, but we can believe what Jesus says. The second thing, and this is again surprising. So he lays out, you'll receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. So everything he's saying is very positive, And then here he slips in and persecutions too. The Cyprus are going to be like hot dog, I knew this was going to be great. See, here we have another example of the upside-down nature of the kingdom, where persecutions are listed along with positive blessings. Remember what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as a Christian, even persecutions work for us. And we're promised persecutions too. I had like eight scriptures about how persecutions are inevitable for disciples of Christ, but for the sake of time, I omitted them. But... It's going to come, and it's good. In a weird kingdom way, it's good. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So we have blessing in this time. We have persecution, which ends up being a blessing. And then finally, eternal life. With persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. This is what the rich man wanted originally and couldn't have because he couldn't let go of his stuff. And I wonder if you can imagine this guy, assuming that he never did let go of his stuff, assuming that he died a non-Christian, an unbeliever with no hope. I can imagine him on his deathbed, surrounded by his Amazon Prime boxes, with his shiny pickup truck outside the window in his spotless dream house, wallowing in regret. The words of verse 21 echoing in his ears, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But he couldn't do it. He treasured these temporary things too much. Leaving everything to follow Jesus is not a sacrifice. It's a really, really wise investment. That's why... Verse 31 holds true, and we'll land here. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus repeats that phrase in slightly different variations three times during this whole section. I think what he means is many who are first in wealth here will be last in wealth here. Many among us who are first in possessions here will be last in possessions here. Many who are first in stability and security here will be last in stability and security here. The disciples are willing to leave everything and follow Jesus, seeing it not as a sacrifice but an investment. And I pray that the same could be said of us, that the world would look at us as the church and see a people that don't value the same things that they do. And don't pursue the same goals that they do. Don't cling to the same treasures and the same securities that they do. That they see a people who hold all earthly wealth wealth loosely in order to follow Jesus. A people unmoved when earthly possessions are threatened. A people who, who don't hesitate to give when the opportunity arises. A people who are stable and secure beyond all earthly stability and security. I've said many times this whole election that we just experienced this week offers so many opportunities for us as a church. One of the primary ones is it was an opportunity for people to see us as Christians just unmoved by the whole thing because our security is not in our president or our nation. It's in God himself through Jesus Christ. I pray that the world would see us like that, that they would see us as true disciples. A people rich with treasure in heaven, heaven looking forward to Jesus' return. Through Jesus Christ, this is possible. This is where we're headed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that through Jesus Christ, you've provided a way for us to be forgiven for all of our failures here. And even more than that, I'm thankful that through Jesus Christ, you've given us a way to be in relationship with you, which is a treasure far beyond any treasure of this earth. So help us hold these earthly things loosely and help us grip tight to you. In Jesus' name, amen.